Hello and welcome to How to Start Up, a podcast for anyone starting a company. This is a collection of conversations with people who have all successfully started, run and even sold their own companies, sharing not only professional but personal experiences on what we should be doing now, next or never. In this episode, we hear from Zoe Evans and Nick Rusling, who have both started and run their own separate and successful companies while also enjoying happy 17 years of marriage and two young children. They share their tried and tested experiences on how they manage the stresses and strains of self-employment while supporting each other in the family unit too. Hi, Nick and Zoe. Thank you so much for your time this evening to talk on how to start up. I really appreciate it. It would be great if perhaps, Zoe, you could start with a brief introduction as to who you are and when you started your company and a little bit about it and then hand over to Nick, maybe. Um, It's lovely to be here. Thank you for having us. Um, I'm delighted. So as you mentioned, my name is Zoe and I work in PR, but essentially I run a company called Style Public Relations, which manages PR special projects, bland collaborations, image, branding, storytelling, you know, basically engaging with the consumer in all sorts of fabulous ways. And I set it up about five years ago when I left Chanel and I'm loving it. Nicholas, over to you. Hi, Julia. Look, it's a pleasure. Thank you for having us on. It's great to chat. So I set up my company in 2010, having left a massive sports marketing organization called IMG, and then set up on my own, but with some fantastic investors who I knew before. It was actually my old boss and created a company which was all focused on mass participation events. So sports around sort of cycling, running, triathlon, but putting on events for tens of thousands of people, getting them fit and healthy. So given that you guys met at university, and I think you got married straight after university, and you now support each other in your own businesses, how do you manage that juggle? I think we manage it pretty well. We've been married for, gosh, Nicholas will know better than me, 17 years? 17, 17 years, yeah. Yeah, I think we manage pretty well. I mean, there's a lot of uncertainty sometimes with the financials, especially when Nicholas set up because he was the main earner. And so that was quite stressful, getting that all sorted out. But once we'd worked out, that it worked really well. And yeah, it's about give and take. You can see when someone else is very busy or particularly stressed, not sleeping, worrying. And as you'll hear through the podcast, we've got quite different skills and on very different industries. So we work quite well together. So if I have a problem, he comes at it from a completely different way than, than my industry would. I think you'd say vice versa, Nikia, or I think so. It's funny when you said that. So our 17 year marriage 10 years have been when I've set up the business and I think you were 2012 when you set up. Mm. So anyway, the majority of our married life, we've been operating when we both had businesses that we've we've set up and had to run. And, and with, within that time, we've had kids as well. So I think that the dynamic has changed throughout that time because of the fact we've had children. Something that I've been slightly scarred by is the thought of Septembers when Zoe would often be re- renegotiating the next 12 months of her work with her clients. And it would be when children would be going back to school or starting nursery, which was always traumatic. And it was always a busy time for my events. So that will live long in the memory of getting through those sort of stressful times. And I think probably the area I've certainly tried to learn the most about is communicating, because I think I would just go oh, I'm busy and, and I've got to get on and mm. but actually that might be the case but if you don't communicate it doesn't work so as things have changed we've had to accept that and acknowledge that and talk about it and sometimes we've done it 
better than others. You always learn the hard way with these things. Yeah. A few cross words soon sorts it out. And actually, that's the best way to learn is through your mistakes. <laughs> you know, one of Nicholas's big things is almost what have you done wrong today? Yeah. Because that's the way we learn. In my world, I always remember a very wise guy said to me, in events you do, you learn from your mistakes, you have contingency plans, you try and preempt <laughs> your mistakes. And whereas in marriage, you do, all you do is you keep repeating the same mistakes every time. So I think that's probably what we've tried to stop which I think we've been successful at. Yeah, we've got that. 17 years of blissful, happy marriage, two companies and two kids is not a bad track record. <laughs> and so, Zoe, what was the, what gave you your first idea for your company? What was it that preempted it? I'd been at Chanel for 12 years, as as you know, because that's obviously where I met you. You were, we worked together. And I mean, I loved working for Chanel. It's the most incredible company. But I wanted to have a change. I turned 40 and just thought I can't keep doing the same things. Having always worked for the French and Italians, I thought I want to work for British brands and I want to work a bit more in sustainability. So I just suddenly thought, right, I'm going to do it. And I think the turning 40 just made me think, if you don't do it now, you never will. And after 12 years, it was just time. It just felt right. I mean, I was terrified and it took me about a year to leave, but it, it felt it felt right. Amazing. And Nick, how about you? It happened fairly organically, I have to say. As I mentioned, I was part of IMG and they were private equity owned. So I was constantly having to do three-year plans and five-year plans. And I was working in an aspect of sport that was really moving quickly. Loads of new people were getting into cycling and triathlon was exploding. And, and I felt that there were lots of opportunities to create new events, to maybe acquire existing event companies. And everything was quite slow and stodgy where I was. And, and they were basically trying to exit. They were trying to sell their massive business. And we were just a small part of that. So it didn't feel like the organization I was, I was in was seizing the opportunity. So I was pretty lucky that I had my old boss who was looking to invest in startup companies. And we just got talking about it and felt like it was a, a pretty natural step. So I think the key was finding a balance from a family finances and, and risk point of view that enabled me to have both a salary, albeit it, it was less, equity, which was where we were you know, hoping to make money if we could sell the business in the future. So it was a balance between the two. And I managed to strike that balance with these great investors who I knew well. But I think probably it started from the fact that when I was at IMG, they just weren't moving with all the opportunities that I knew existed. So naturally, the sort of conversation started happening around what could we do instead and how could we do it? I think, Zoe, you referenced that as well, is that if you're small, you can be nimble. And if you're part of a huge company, everything takes so much longer to get signed off. Yeah, you just wait a lot. I think we were lucky in Chanel in London because we worked with this great MD who let us do things and let us try things. But as we all know, once digital launched, you know, if an influencer in Sydney said something or Berlin or New York, it very quickly happened in London. There was like one central massive image control center almost for Chanel, which I completely respect. It's a brilliant, brilliant thing. But you can't then respond and react. And you can't enjoy that because it, it's difficult to manage that on such a large scale. And I think working for smaller companies, you can really enjoy the digital because you can see it changing every day. Um, did somebody offer you a piece of advice at the beginning that really held true starting out? I think the best piece of advice I was given was just take your time, really think about this. What do you want to do? And don't rush because it's very easy to be a little bit anxious. You're worrying about money, you're worrying about the mortgage, and you can very quickly think, well, I'll, I'll take that client it's not quite right I remember a girl who was at Vogue she took me out for breakfast when I left and she said just stop and think every time is this 
the game plan. Is this why I left? And that really stuck in my head, actually. And it's really helped me sort of ever since. I've always thought, no, hold on. I don't want to set up an agency because you can get very quickly swept in. You get lots of lovely offers and people say, oh, do this and do that. And actually, I had to kind of go, no, I'm going to wait. And she said to me, don't do anything for three to six months, which was hard because I'd worked full time for you know a long, long time. But it was really good advice. And I made sure I followed it. It's so true because you get caught up in the fray and you forget to keep pulling yourself out and look at the bigger picture. How about you, Nick? I think the best advice I had, which definitely rings true, is around recruitment. And when it was just me and then had to bring somebody on board. We doubled the the numbers of employees and making sure that that was the right person. And, you know, every individual was going to make a huge difference to the business. You had to rely on each other. You had to trust each other. You had to know you're going to get on getting the people right and spending time on that because it sets you back and it's not fair on the people around them if you don't take your time to get it right. And given this year has thrown every single person we know a curveball, how have you got through this together, given that you've juggled family and work at the same time? Oh, good question. I think we're lucky. We're very good friends. It sort of sounds a bit boring and dull. And Nicholas hates it when I say that because it doesn't sound sort of, you know, passionate. But I think you have to get on very well to do what we do. And you have to be really empathetic of what the other person is going through. I don't work as many hours as Nicholas. So we've just somehow spent time thinking about the other person going, right, what do you need? I'll sort that out. And like you say, it's carving up a bit of the domestic chores too, because Nicholas is brilliant. I used to have to go to the parish shows when I was at Schnell. So I would be gone for like seven, eight, nine days at a time and traveling a lot with the girl I'm working for now. And he's brilliant. He'll step up and do all the domestic. And I think it's about recognizing what needs to be done when. And we have a slight sort of meeting on a Sunday night, Monday morning about, right, what's sort of your week? What's my week? So that you vaguely know when the other one is very busy and right, I'll step up. Amazing. And how has the pandemic affected both of your businesses? Well, I'm lucky in that I work in beauty. I work for a girl called Sarah Chapman, who does incredible facials, and she has a brilliant cosmeceutical product line. The product business is doing really well. And we do a lot of work with storytelling, getting Sarah out there. So I have actually been very busy. And Nick? Yeah, it's been busy enough at times, but I mean, our business is around physical events and getting people together and it's it's called mass participation. So from that point of view, it's been completely decimated. We haven't been able to deliver one event this year. Oh, gosh. So we spent a lot of time just trying to get the customer right and, and make sure that people who had entered events and then those events were uncertain for a phase of time and then postponed or cancelled and changing information all the time around what we needed to communicate. So that was key because they're our customers in the future. So with every word of what we sent to them by email or on social media, every communication was really important to try and assess even the tone of the nation. What, what's the country thinking, let alone what's our customer thinking? So that took a lot of time to try and get right. And a lot of that, 70 to 80% of people who entered an event actually then said, you know what, keep the money and we'll, we'll do it with you in the future. So that was fabulous. We also have sponsors and partners and we need to keep offering them value. So we have a great community and a great database of people we can keep chatting to. So we've got to do that for the sponsors and we could keep giving them content and feed them different bits of advice, even though they're sitting at home, but maybe getting fit in a different way. And then been around launching events for next year. And we've learned a lot about um, what we call sort of virtual events so we've done a marathon where Zoe and I actually did it where you had to run marathon in a month so you could do it in any sort of chunks of different distances as long as it covered full distance within the month so you could do a mile a day for 26 days and be part of it and we got 10,000 people doing that and we've 
just launched a, a virtual winter run with fundraising for cancer research. So we've tried some new stuff, which has been really interesting and successful, but it won't replace the core business. But it's been sort of busy, but equally people have been furloughed. And that's been a sort of a very supportive mechanic from the government to save money. And we've had to, to go through a bunch of redundancies as well. But I've had time as well to play some sport and be with the family and do some stuff for uh, a 2.6 challenge, which, which we created to raise money for charities around the country. So parts of it have been amazing and we've had some good times. Remind me or explain a little bit more about the 2.6 challenge. So the marathons that raised so much money for charity and because our marathon, which was the Manchester Marathon, is April and London was April, right at the beginning of lockdown. So they were cancelled and, and with that instantly is £100 million just in those events in April that wouldn't make its way to charities that would normally would do. So we came up with an idea that we wanted to basically create a fundraiser to try and replace it. And at the time, there were things like Captain Tom doing his bit. And a lot of the focus for charities was on NHS-based charities. And we really felt that, well, we know that there are 170,000 charities in the UK, and they were all in desperate need. And some of them were on the precipice of, of having to shut down. So we created a challenge that anyone could do related to the numbers two and six, which is the marathon distance. But it could be literally bake 26 cakes or hop 2.6 kilometers, which is what I did. And then you pick your own charity, any charity, and you get money to them. And Mm -hmm. we broke a world record for the number of charities engaged in a single fundraiser. And we raised 14 million pounds and it consumed me and about 100 other people who worked on it for about three weeks we couldn't have achieved it if it wasn't for zoom and meetings like this because actually everyone was willing to take quick decisions and we sort of got onto bbc and we got government support and businesses and celebrities galore and it was amazing actually and it was funny watching the whole thing unfold from home with the family god congratulations that's amazing thank you what have you found is the most surprising thing you've learned about each other and yourselves in becoming your own bosses? I think I've learned that I'm more creative than I thought. I love thinking of the consumer at the end of the day. I love thinking, right, how are we going to get to her and how are we going to make it fun and really service-led for her? Because obviously I'm a woman and I love women and I celebrate women. I think they're absolutely fantastic. So I think I just learned that. And I guess what I've learned about Nicholas is he's very strategic. So I work very quickly. I think of an idea. I've got lots of journalists and influencers I can talk to about it. And I'm a real doer. I I love just getting on with things. And Nicholas is all about, no, 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 you need to explain to the client what is London Fashion Week? Why is that going to work? So he sort of slows me down in, in a very good way, in a practical way and says, right, you need to write a strategy document. So and I hate writing those you know I still don't have a website because all my business comes word of mouth I never need a website to sort of sell myself and you know it just shows I'm not really made like that and he's taught me about no strategy think you know what we're like we all use vocabulary that's relevant to our industries and he's like well got to explain it like a layman so (laughs) he's been brilliant like that my father's also brilliant like that I mean he's the most incredible writer he will shorten me right into five words what I've said in five paragraphs I think um it's been fascinating watch all the different clients she's worked for because a lot of them have been sort of owner managed so they've been similar sort of size you know between maybe I don't know five and 30 people working for them and Zoe's been amazing at working probably two days a week maybe one day a week in their office and always feels like 
the people who work there treat her as part of the team. And I've worked with people who've done similar and they come in and they feel like they're they're not part of the team and they just sort of sit on their own desk and don't interact unless it's with people that they need to. But Zoe is just hugely valued, both because she's fun and she spends time chatting to people about their, their lives and caring and listening, but but also because she offers value and I think people want to, to listen to what she's got to say. So it's always been interesting seeing Zoe. When other people would have might have been nervous going to offices, Zoe seems to settle and, and get respected as a key part of the team pretty quickly. I'm not sure what you would say, Nick, or you, Juliet, now you're doing it, but one of the downfalls I think of being self-employed is being alone quite a lot. And you have to not take things personally when people don't reply. And and actually being in an office is, is hugely beneficial because you just get to be with people. Look what we've learned in the pandemic. People are crucial. We all need each other. So part of what I have loved and my advice to people who are thinking about this is if you have a client, definitely say to him or her, look, if you want me in the office one or two days a week, you know, I can do it remotely. I can come in. Don't go in and show off and be nervous and worried. Just go in and listen and be quiet and understand what they want you to do and then do it. But also natter in the kitchen when someone's making a cup of tea. Just be yourself, be normal and and everybody will enjoy having you there. I think because you enjoy going in, people pick up on that, the fact that you're delighted to be there. And you can build much stronger relationships faster in that face-to-face dialogue obviously this year it's not helped but if you're indoctrinated into that company and that brand you'll ultimately and obviously in comms you'll do a far better job for them the more that you know about them and Nick what's the most surprising thing you've learned about yourself in this process? I I think I surprised myself in my attitude to just giving stuff a go and if it doesn't work then you know as, as long as it doesn't sink the ship then I think it's it's worth it because you learn but I, over the years deliver these events and the ideal scenario is you have an event that lasts forever and it might be once a year but yeah ideally it's part of the fabric of a city and it's, it's making money and it, it's valued enough that you deliver these events every single year forever more but sometimes you get it horribly wrong and it, it's one year only one thing I've learned about Nicholas actually which has been really obvious is how tenacious he is. He never give up. I remember my first boss at Chanel saying that, don't take no for an answer. And Nicholas, if he decides he wants a celebrity to endorse part of a project he's working on, he will really nicely, but very firmly, almost stalk them. <laughs> and he will get them always. Now, I've got, a, I've got a failure. I've got a rank failure on my WhatsApp chain. I've got about 43 unresponded WhatsApps to Freddie Flintoff. Oh, right. He gave me his number. He said he was up for something. And then I've tried to time my WhatsApp. So it's it's appropriate stalking, but he's never responded. Yeah. But that's that's taught me a lesson because I used to get quite upset at the beginning. when I might send him one now, actually. I really send him one now. You know, but I used to get quite upset when people didn't send reply to an email. Because when I was at Chanel, everyone replies to your emails very quickly. Mm. And when you're going at it on your own, it's quite hard because people don't. And Nicholas is like, don't take it personally. It's not personal. This is about business. Do it again. Try again. Try again. And eventually they'll go, oh, God, I'm so sorry I didn't reply, Zoe. It's been a ridiculous week. And then you think, oh. So I think I've learned that about you, Nicholas. The other thing I've learned about Nicholas is he needs a PA. (laughs) I've worked out I'd like to be my own PA. If I could delegate my job to somebody else and actually just be my PA, (laughs) then I'd be happy. (laughs) 
Zoe, when she's juggling life and work and, and home, she would say, I'm dashing, I'm dashing here, I'm dashing there, and I couldn't work it out. You know, you're not. You're just sort of, you've ended that meeting and you've gone to pick up Nilla from school. And why is it dashing? Is that surely that's just a state of mind that you can sort of confront? Don't dash. It's not good for the soul. And then when Zoe went away once, I just suddenly went, I get it. <laughs> You've got to dash everywhere because your meeting goes on for two minutes longer and then you have to catch a train and you end up dashing. Um, so I think empathy for the other person's predicament is, is, is healthy. I'm trying to squeeze every minute out of every day, I'm finding at the moment quite a learning curve, hence the impatient behaviour, I think. <laughs> Do you have any advice about how to price yourself or your service offering? I think that the best piece of advice I was given was work out what you think you're worth maybe add a little bit more and stick to that. Don't listen too much to other people and know your industry a bit, you know, know what people are paying a day rate. But you learn as you go along because I'm a bit of an over-deliverer. So I tend to put in a bit too many hours. But as long as I feel the fee is fair, then I'm very happy to do that. But I think it's about trust your instincts. Do a bit of research, obviously, but don't let people's inflated egos say, oh, well, you know, you've done LVMH and Givenchy and Marc Jacobs and Michael Kors and Chanel, you know, they should all pay this. And you think, oh God, that may- I think I'd get sleepless nights charging people that. You know, you want to feel the value is there for you both. That's really important, actually. And what gives you pride? And that could be not charging extortionate amounts of money because you feel it's fair. Yeah. Nick, what about you? Similar to Zoe, delivering value. And part of that is try and put some value to your time because that, that's valuable, particularly if you're running your own business. I've probably been a bit too undiscerning with my time in the past. Just I'm interested in things, I'll fill them out. And if that's what's valuable is that you're exploring, then go for it. But if actually you're better off being focused, then you should consider that as well. So I think pricing yourself, even if you aren't directly selling yourself, which which I'm not, I still think is very important to do. We all get asked, well, could you just, or could you just do this? Could you just have a little look at this? Could you possibly ring up a few journalists and send them my beautiful product? You have to kind of go, well, hold on, actually, yeah. that's my job. That's the boundary there. Yeah. And I started going, oh, yes, of course. And actually, no, you need to hold a bit firm and think, no, that has a value. And I'm delighted to do a bit of help, but you can't keep doing all these favours for everyone. And that's another thing I've learned in setting up on my own is being honest and saying, no, I'm really sorry, I can't help you. But I can. I know someone who can. Exactly. So if you guys could go back and have your time again, is there anything that you would do differently or not do at all? Trust your gut. You know, I had a couple of clients that I really didn't want to work for but they pursued me quite hard. They paid me quite well and I did it. And and I, I wish I hadn't because actually ultimately, again, like I was saying, when you're self-employed, you're on your own at home or in an office, it can hurt you if someone sort of says something or they're not professional with you. And that's the only thing I would change actually is a couple of clients. But no, I've loved working for myself. What about you, Nicholas? Probably similar lines, actually. A couple of people I've worked with, I think if I had spent, again, a little bit more time probably doing a bit of due diligence on, on them and asking around a bit more. I might have unearthed some things that might would have made me think twice. Yeah, You're not going to crack it with everyone in life. So you're better off saying no sometimes. And, and actually, it's okay to say no. Mm. Is there anything else that you'd like to add? Any golden nuggets that you'd want to impart to somebody starting out? I think be brave. Yes. Remember why you're doing this and enjoy it and use this benefit of being self-employed to design your life you can really make your life and your work really quite pleasant and also very flexible and that is such a gift and nick 
if you're going to start up your own company, it's not going to be a smooth path. I think just embrace that roller coaster because it's fun. If you know that there will be failures, if you know they're going to be potholes in the road, it's how you get around them as part of the challenge. But also that's how you'll learn. Yeah. And if you enjoy the challenge rather than let it wear you down, then overcoming it is just even more rewarding and have people around you that you can talk it through when it doesn't always go right. I remember someone saying, you're going to be on your own quite a lot. So get a little safety net of people who you trust, who that if you have a bad day or a good day, you can ring up and say, what would you do about this? What would you do about Because when you're in the office, you, you take that for granted. People in the office are there to support you and work with you. And I really noticed that. And it was really good advice. I, I got two or three journalists that I could ring whenever I needed to and say, well, I'm not quite sure. What do you think? You know, and that really helps. I mean, Juliet, you and I have done that a little bit for each other since leaving. And it's quite nice just to have some people that you can call to chat stuff through yeah. with. Completely. My last question for you both is how do you draw boundaries about work and especially this year, work-life balance? I think as our industries are so different, you can sort of switch off from them. We've got lots of friends who actually do work together on the same thing and that's more challenging. And the other thing, you know, having the family, you, you have to sort of all of that as well as work. So that's when we sort of start to think about the children and what do they need and families and our friends. And so I think we're quite good. What what do you think, Nikki? I remember particularly when I first set up getting into social media because fundamentally it was sort of free marketing and sitting everywhere just constantly on Twitter it was I was trying to pretend I was a woman because we had these women only cycling events and I was just constantly doing it because I was desperate to get people entering into these events and I think if you accept you've just got to work hard at the beginning don't beat yourself up if you're on your phone a bit but at some point you've got to put it down and switch off and I I had some great advice recently which is at the end of your day whenever that is write down three things you want to do the next day and then when you turn up to your desk wherever that is give yourself half an hour at the beginning and do one of them Mm. and actually I've tried to start adopting that and I probably do it half the days but it's really good and it's it's cathartic when you make that happen so I think it's a good habit I'm going to try and get more into. We have a family motto that's action conquers fear for one of my first bosses at Chanel she said to me first thing you're having in the office just do it and I really try and adopt that a lot and I'm trying to teach the children about that. Yeah I like that. And actually once you start even if you make a small start it's much less intimidating. You faced it yeah. And the other one on those lines which is if it's scheduled it happens. Thank you so much both. It's been really great chatting to you and I've learned loads. So thank you very much. Pleasure, Juliet. Thanks, Juliet. Take care. It's been impressive to hear how Zoe and Nick managed to support each other and their children, as well as sustain their businesses and charities at the same time. Open communication, consideration and empathy and a weekly business meeting are standing them clearly in very good stead on all fronts. If you'd like to contact Zoe or Nick, you'll find all of their details in the show notes, along with a recap of the advice they have so kindly shared. Thank you for listening to How to Start Up, hosted by me, Juliet Fallowfield, founder of PR consultancy for startups, Fallowfield and Mason. I hope these conversations offer you some confidence, encouragement and reassurance that you're on the right track. And if you'd like to submit a question for a future guest, please head over to the SpeakPipe link in the show notes. If you've enjoyed this podcast, I'd be so appreciative if you were to rate, review and subscribe as it will really help other people starting a company discover it.